Welcome to the Real Marathon Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the best in film each and every week. I'm your host, Rob Carraher, and this week we are going to be talking about the film Pieces of a Woman. We only have a couple more weeks until Oscars, and this week I want to wanted to uh, do a review of this film. There are probably about 15 more films that I'm looking to watch before between now and Oscar night, um, but I think this is the one that I wanted to highlight the most out of that bunch, just kind of surveying what we have out there. Um, one of the things that I think is important to understand before I get into the review of this film is the way in which I go about evaluating um, a lot of the stuff that I see. Uh, I know that up to this point, I haven't really talked about that process all that much, but I think that I go into uh, evaluating a film a little bit different than even a lot of the other critics that you may be listening to, because I try to take a very balanced approach. And I don't know if that comes from... Uh, my desire to constantly uh, look at everything from an objective point of view, or uh, if it's my teaching background, but I sort of create this mental rubric, and I go through, and I take a look at each piece of that rubric as I am evaluating a film. Um, this helps me to remain objective and not letting my biases always seep in. Of course, that's going to happen from time to time because we're human. And there are certain things that um, I, I just enjoy better than other things. And so uh, sometimes the way that I use the rubric, I think, does uh, is influenced by those those uh, areas where I, I do have strong feelings one way or the other. But the cool thing about this is I can use that rubric and when uh, multiple films fall within a certain number range, I'm then able to use my opinion to differentiate between the two. Um, as a speech coach and as a judge uh, on the high school level, this is sort of how we, we operate when it comes to um, evaluating a student's work. Uh, we have to look at all the different criteria in order to appropriately evaluate them and give them credit where credit is due. The same thing goes here for film. So I have essentially broken up the way that I evaluate film into five different areas and they very much align kind of with the uh, the aspects of or, or the, the categories in which a film could potentially be nominated for for an Academy Award. So my first area that I take a look at um, is acting. And I take a look at acting across the board. And when I do this, uh, I choose between giving a film a zero, if it's absolutely atrocious, 
<laughs> atrocious, atrocious, and um, this uh, really would have to be a bad, bad performance. Uh, if the acting is just kind of okay, it ends up somewhere in the middle, um, then I would give that category a 0.5. And then if I think it's award-worthy, or I think it's top-notch um, and should be recognized, then I give it a full one. Now this can vary. Uh, I, there may be one performance that I think is pretty extraordinary, um, and so that automatically puts it up to a one, while the rest of the uh, performances are just kind of okay. If there's a really bad performance, it probably could take a really great performance and give uh, the, the entire film a 0.5 in the middle. Um, but I first take a look at that the acting. I think it's one of the easiest things when we uh, evaluate film to take a look at. Uh, it's what we're drawn to a lot. I think even the average film goer is drawn to that. And uh, so it's probably one of the easiest pieces of the rubric to be able to fill in. Um, the second area I take a look at is uh, writing. And writing incorporates not only the dialogue, uh, but also the story and the way in which it kind of flows. Uh, and there is, it, so sometimes I also take a look at or, originality um, in this, this area. If it's something, a story that's been done over and over and over and over again, I can't really give it a one. Um, so that might, it might end up at a 0.5. Um, or if the dialogue is kind of, not real. If it doesn't seem like this is a conversation that a real person is having, unless it's very stylized. Sometimes, like I think somebody like Aaron Sorkin, um, the dialogue that he uses is not necessarily uh, real to life. Uh, it's quick and witty, and um, most of his characters are kind of a step ahead of other people. Um, and so I, I wouldn't knock him down because of that, that sort of dialogue, because it, the way that it, it plays is very stylistic. And so I'm able to reward some stylistic dialogue um, in this way. The same thing goes for um, like a Quentin Tarantino. The dialogue is not overly realistic, but it is, it's realistic enough and um, that style uh, plays a huge role in uh, why it is a Quentin Tarantino film. So I'm taking a look at that. Um, and once again, it can go, it can be across the board. If the script is just awful, which I think of a movie like Soli, which was uh, directed by um, Clint Eastwood a few years back, that script was god awful. It was a terrible, terrible script. It wasn't very interesting because it redoes the same thing like multiple times within the um, film. The dialogue was terrible. Um, there wasn't anything stylistic about it. It wasn't real. They made super corny comments. It was terrible. And that movie was like on the verge of getting nominated for Best Picture. And thank God it did not because that script was so bad. Um, and so... Uh, I there's it could very well end up on that zero end where I just cannot give it 
any credit at all. Most of the time you're going to see a script that, that kind of ends up in the middle. Um, because it's, you know, it, it allows the movie to play out, but it's not overly special. Then because the visual aspect of films are so extraordinary, um, I split the way that we look at this. I split it between the more physical, visual aesthetic, and the more technical visual aesthetic. So the physical visual aesthetic are the things that are created that don't take um, a, it, it isn't the way that the director or, uh, those who are in charge of that area are manipulating the way that we, we visualize it. So, um, things like production design, I think gen would be more physical. Uh, you have your hair and makeup, the way that you visually look that way is going to be more physical. And then costumes are going to be more physical. And so I generally will give a score based upon that. And um, there are some films that aren't overly great films, but score very, very high in this area. Um, or a film may be, you know, kind of middle of the line, but because of the way that it scores in this area, it boosts it up. I think of a film like Emma. Um, Emma's pretty good. It's not the best film of the year because it is a um, movie that's been made before. Uh, it's not overly an original idea. But the, its physical aesthetic is gorgeous between the uh, hairstylings that they have for the characters in that film, the costumes, even though it's a period piece, uh, they did a very great job in that film to really let the colors pop. And uh, they created a beautiful aesthetic. Um, and then the production design, uh, the sets, the way that uh, they, they created this world, this environment. Um, in that film, it's also fantastic. Um, so you're going to see a lot of period pieces uh, pop up in here. So anything that is not from our contemporary uh, present time or recent years, um, if they make it, if they set it in a different era, uh, it is probably going to get pretty high marks in the uh, the aesthetic, uh, the physical aesthetic um, from a visual standpoint because they have to create this world. And that's just an impressive part of filmmaking and why I think it is um, pretty cool to go to watch movies that are made about a different time period because it takes that extra layer of um, focus on what you are trying to do for the film. Um, so that's the visual or the physical aesthetic um, when I'm evaluating the visual aspects of a film. Now there's the technical uh, part of this as well. In this, um, I generally will include cinematography um, because it, this way that the, a film is actually filmed, um, is kind of manipulated, manipulates the way that we, we view the film, um, and the way that it is experienced because it forces a certain gaze. It, uh, makes you see the scene in a very certain way. Um, in addition, editing 
also plays a huge role in this area um, because instead of it just being one long shot, we piece together multiple shots to, to allow us to um, see the film in a certain way. I think about the, the film The Father, which we reviewed last week, and the editing in that film is extraordinary because uh, it allows us to view this experience through the eyes of our, our main character, Anthony, and how he, how he experiences his world. Because uh, we, don't, we don't necessarily see it linear in a linear sort of way. Um, and the editing allows them to do some of that, which I think was absolutely fascinating. Um, and then the third aspect of this is going to be uh, the visual effects that a film uses. So the things that they incorporate um, that aren't necessarily real, um, aren't physically there, um, or are created to... Uh, make the audience feel a certain way. So a lot of our action films are going to have high marks here. Um, and I think about uh, like a Christopher Nolan film. He uses tons and tons of visual effects to uh, allow us to experience the film in a certain way. Tenet, um, not a very great film, but from a visual standpoint, uh, the visual effects that he uses um, are pretty extraordinary. And I think that he probably is going to win the Oscar this year for, for that film. Um, and, and it's because of this, this kind of technical aesthetic that is being created to help us get a um, better experience as a moviegoer. And then the final aspect that I evalu evaluate a film on is on sound. Um, it's something I think that we don't always maybe give it the credit that it deserves. We recognize it, um, but it, it really does have a huge impact on your experience. You think about an action film and the sounds that you hear, like you think about a war film. And there's bombs going off and guns and stuff like that, and that's it's really important as we are watching this to think about the way in which those sounds are mixed in and in many cases how those sounds are created. Um, let's go back to the film Tenet. In Tenet, it, because it's a more of an action film, the sound is very, very important, but it wasn't mixed well. Um, the, the voices, the dialogue didn't mix in with the other sounds that were a part of, a part of the film. It's like a, they kind of got sloppy on the editing floor. Um, and, and so you can't give that film high scores, uh, in, in that area. In fact, the mixing of dialogue, you probably give a zero, but then you can add in other stuff like, uh, music. Um, the score, the way the score, it, the movie is scored, if it fits the tone of the film, the way that it is edited in, um, the song selection, if it's using uh, songs that have already, already been created and put into the film. Um, another area where you really get a feel for um, 
how well the sound is done is with musicals and whether or not the songs are being mixed correctly. Uh, there's nothing worse than watching a musical on film and feel like you're in two different places. Um, I think about the movie La La Land, um, which was pretty critically acclaimed, but I thought ultimately it was not a very good movie. Um, and I was so happy that it got beat out for Best Picture. But one of the things that I hated about it was that the music was not mixed well. It did not feel um, like we were in the same place. The m music was happening somewhere completely different. And um, yeah, I thought that was very, very problematic. Um, so as you can see, as I go through a film, I look at five, each of these five different areas. And each area can get as many as one point. And if it's a perfect film, then it will get a 5 out of 5. And so that's where you get my stars, my 5 out of 5 stars. And I often end up with 4.5 if it's a really, really good film because it's very difficult to be perfect in all five of these areas. There's always usually a some, some area in which there is a deficiency and um, or it, it, it's just average. Um, and so... That's kind of gives you an idea of how I go about um, evaluating films. And the reason I really want to talk about it today is because the film that I am going to be reviewing today, Pieces of a Woman, um, in general, is probably not your average moviegoer's favorite film. Um, but I really loved it. And in order for you to gain an understanding of why I really loved it, you needed to understand that this is how I'm evaluating the films that I watch. And my hope is that you will watch it. Um, and I'll talk about it here in a little bit. But my hope is that you watch it and you are able to watch it with these different criteria in mind. Because I think that it may help you to gain an appreciation of cinema in a way that maybe you never have previously. Um, even if you disagree and you're like, no, I, do, I don't want to watch movies in this, this, through this lens. Um, I think it's good to understand why other people do like certain movies. Um, and the aspects of why they like them. So um, we'll talk about it here when we come back from this break. Um, and I will maybe dig in a little bit deeper uh, now that I have explained the way that I evaluate it um, so that you can get a better understanding of why I have chosen certain aspects of the film to be rated uh, at a higher level. So stay right there, and we will be right back. her incompetence. Is this about money? No. Is it, is it about what, what people think? 
It's about you. It's about you having to face this. I am facing this. I am facing it! I am facing this! Well, I don't think you are. We need... We need some justice here. No, you need. That is what you want. That is what you need. That is... That is your way. That is not my way. That is what you need! Martha, if you had done it my way, you'd be holding your baby in your arms right now. And that was a clip from Pieces of a Woman. Uh, the conversation that is taking place is between uh, Martha, played by Vanessa Kirby, and her mother Elizabeth, played by Ellen Burstein. And I believe this scene is kind of a summary of ultimately what this film is all about. So the concept behind uh, Pieces of a Woman is that it is this woman, Martha, and her partner, Sean, um, they're having a baby, and they decide to do a home birth, and they end up losing their, their child. And we watch as they kind of process this experience in a very different way from each other, as well as um, they bring bringing in her mother's perspective in the way that her mother believes that she should go about handling this situation. And um, it's just, it's really an extraordinary uh, concept. Um, and, and it's not because it's anything out of the ordinary, but rather it is very real to life. And it talks about issues that I believe as a society we we don't actually face. We recognize that they are a thing, but we don't talk about them. And I think that's problematic. So what we're seeing here in this scene is uh, that Martha's mother, Elizabeth, is basically telling her how she needs to be handling the aftermath of this tragedy in her life. And one of the things that they are doing is they are going after the doula, um, who was a part of this experience, um, and they are trying to bring quote, justice, end quote, um, to, to this woman. Um, and I think that the film says a lot about excessive litigation and how we often use uh, lawsuits as a means of coping with aspects of life that just happen. There's always this rush to feel as though we need to blame somebody and that that just isn't always the case sometimes bad things happen and nobody is to blame it's the way that life works life is filled with joys and tragedies and when tragedies happen we just have to accept the fact that that is part of life and figure out what we need to do to heal but not at the cost of somebody else and so I think the film does a really good job of giving us these multiple perspectives and showing that because we all are unique individuals, that we 
uh, approach these things in very different ways. Um, and one of the things that the, the, the film does, and I think this uh, is much to do with Cata uh, Weber's script, which is just brilliant, is that it is very subtle in many ways about the way that it is trying to communicate some of these ideas. Um, and kind of giving you the opportunity as a viewer to digest it and make up your own mind. I think we ultimately all arrive at the same place if we are viewing the film um, through the lens in which Cata Weber and director Cornell Mondrusco uh, are, are wanting us to view the film. Um, but uh, I, it does a great job of letting you process it. And I think that's uncomfortable for some viewers uh, because it is slow moving at times. And um, it makes you kind of set with what is happening. And I think the pacing where I've seen, I've seen critics kind of, um, they criticize the pacing because, uh, it, it kind of has these ebbs and flows, but that's part of it. It, it almost is mirroring, um, the process of grief and handling of tragic events in our lives. It's not always a quick process, and sometimes you just have to set with what is uh, kind of you sit down and and digest what is happening, um, and so I think they do a good job of having the viewer do this as well. Um, the other major theme that I think is important or, or conversation piece is the idea of women's mental health, and we don't talk enough about how we are lifting up women who go through um, some of these tragedies that surround pregnancy and um, how there's kind of this expectation that they need to be doing things in a certain way and not just letting women be alone kind of in their their own experience of this not to say that we need to leave them completely alone because obviously there needs to be support but letting them uh kind of go through this process in their own sort of way um and understanding that this is a fairly uh common thing that happens um, whether it is at birth so that a woman loses her child or through miscarriage. Um, and I think the fact that a woman wrote this script helps a lot. And I'm thankful that um, that the director, Mondrusco, has, even though he's a male, really lets her script shine through because ultimately this is a women, a woman's film. And uh, it is about her journey, not necessarily the writer, but Martha and her journey and not trying to put this male's perspective on things, um, which I think I find to be interesting. 
um, because I was almost sure that as this film closed that it was uh, a female director. I did not know that it was a male director previously. Um, but one of the things I thought was cool at the beginning of the film um, when they had the, the credits that it said a uh, Cornell Mondrusco and Cata Weber film. Usually it just says the director. They don't add the writer in there. But to me that says that um, this was a collaborative experience, and I think that you see that shine through. Um, but I think both of these issues that the film brings up are really important, and they may not be timely in the sense of this is the hot issue right now. But these are things that we have needed as a society to um, rectify or have conversations about that we just don't because it makes people uncomfortable. Um, but this is a great platform for those issues to be uh, talked about. Um, kind of building off of this brilliant script, um, it should have been nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Um, it is absolutely beautiful, and um, it's a shame that it did not. And I think it's because of a lot of its subtleties um, there, there is a moment where, uh, Martha's partner, Sean, is talking with their attorney, who happens to be a, uh, a, a fam, a, co a cousin, a distant family member, and they they have this conversation where you know that Sean is communicating something to this attorney, but he doesn't have to say it. Um, specifically in words. Um, he doesn't have to ask this question. And the attorney is able to somewhat give an answer without having to straight up give an answer. And um, it, it, this scene just, it struck me as um, just perfectly executed. It doesn't insult the movie watcher because it allows you to understand what is happening um and and to me that's that's pretty extraordinary uh there are multiple moments throughout the film where i caught this to be the case or found this to be the case but uh th this one really stuck out to me um and it, it a lot uh, it relies a lot on fantastic performances from this cast. We'll talk about those performances here in a little bit because I think that they all were fantastic as well um, and that they need to be talked about. But the last thing I want to say about the writing, um, there is this metaphor that, that plays throughout that revolves around uh, an apple or apples. And some people may find it to be a little hokey, but I think it, it adds this level of intrigue um, and kind of as, as the film plays out, you're wondering what, what the purpose of this apple is. Um, and, and I think it's done very, very well in the way that the film ends, um, is absolutely beautiful and kind of wraps up this metaphor nicely. Um, and yeah, it's, it, I, I think it's a cool experience. Uh, and that's just something that, uh, I think takes that script to another level. Um, 
So that is the script written by Kata Weber. Um, I can't wait to see more of what she has done. Um, I, I hope to kind of dig back in and see what some of her previous work is. Um, and I just don't, I don't think she received the credit that she should have. And uh, in fact, this film didn't receive the credit that it should have. Um, the only award that it got nominated for at the Oscars was Vanessa Kirby's performance, and that is a much-deserved uh, nominee nomination. Um, in most years, I would probably say this is my favorite performance of the year, and in fact, if she were to happen to win the... Uh, the, the Academy Award for Best Actress, I would be thrilled. Still, my favorite is uh, Carrie Mulligan, um, but this performance is about as good of a performance as you are ever going to get from any any actor. Um, and uh, it, it is very, very much, much deserved. Uh, it would have been great to see Ellen Burstein and... Uh, Molly Parker both get recognized as supporting actress. Um, Ellen Burstein, she has a little bit bigger role as her mother, uh, and there there was a huge push to try to get her nominated. In fact, a lot of people thought she should have. Um, but Molly Parker as the doula, uh, I think that I may be in a minority because her performance is not. I mean, she just, she's not in it a whole lot. But when I think about this category, um, it's these sorts of performances that I think about. A lot of times I think we nominate um, performances in the supporting category that are a lot closer to a lead performance than they are a, a supporting performance. And I would be, um, I think I would be okay if they kind of put a time limit on these categories and say in order to qualify for this category uh, you have to be under a certain time limit um, and I feel like then you start to can you can start to highlight some of these pretty incredible performances that um, really are about certain scenes and in this case there's really only two scenes um, but she is fantastic, absolutely fantastic in both of them. In the first scene, uh, I'm going to talk about here in a moment when we talk about cinematography, because um, it is the best scene in the entire <laughs> for the entire year, and uh, probably one of my favorite scenes of all time. Um, but then Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf, I also believe, does deserve a did uh, deserve a nomination here. Uh, I understand why. The Academy didn't even think about it um, because he has had a lot of controversy. Um, and in fact, I think that that probably has hurt this film in general. Um, I try to not let my personal opinions of the human impact the way that I analyze uh, the performance of an actor. Um, Shia LaBeouf, I believe, is one of the greatest actors of this generation, and he has been through a lot of trauma throughout his life, which does not forgive him for the actions that he takes in his personal life. Um, but my, my hope is that he kind of gets his life figured out, 
and that uh, he puts out many, 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 many more fantastic performances and ones that um, the Academy can kind of, for I shouldn't say forgive, but uh, understand that he um, has moved past that and that he is sorry for the mistakes that he has made. Um, and yeah, this performance of Sean is top-notch Shia LaBeouf as well. Um, it's once again, it's kind of a subtle performance, but he hits everything right on. And uh, you really see him shine in this opening um, sequence that I'm going to talk about here in a moment as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the fact that Vanessa Kirby got nominated, that's great. I think that uh, that's very, very well deserved. At the time that we are um, talking about this, um, I have not yet recorded the final segment of, of this podcast. Um, and so I do not know yet whether or not Vanessa Kirby won the BAFTA for Best Actress. Uh, it's basically should be between her and Frances McDormand because those are the only two that of the Oscar nominees that are also nominated for a BAFTA. Um, my gut tells me they'll probably go with Frances McDormand for Nomadland, but um, it would be pretty cool to see Vanessa Kirby win here um, because I don't think she's going to win the Oscar. Um, and to see her performance get recognized would be pretty sweet. So in the next segment, we will know at that point because it will have been after, uh, after the, they have announced the winners for um, the main awards at BAFTA. All right, so let's talk about the cinematography in this film. Um, I believe that uh, Benjamin Loeb's cinematography is some of the greatest cinematography in film history for this film. There is a scene, it's not the very first scene, but it is pretty close to the beginning, uh, a 28-minute shot of this home birth. Never cuts. So the actors are playing this out for 28 minutes. Um, the way in which the camera moves around this home so effortlessly and captures some absolutely beautiful shots without them having made having to make a single cut is extraordinary in if for no other reason than to watch this scene you should watch see this film um i <laughs> My, honestly, it, it left me a little speechless. Um, I knew about it prior because I had heard an interview um, on NPR about this film and about this scene. Um, but just talking about it doesn't do it justice. It is a tense, tense scene. Like you were on the edge of your seat. And I already knew what was going to happen. Um, and it still was tense. And it makes you somewhat emotional um, as you're watching these things play out. Um, but it relies so heavily on fantastic performances from Vanessa Kirby, Shia LaBeouf, and Molly Parker. And Molly Parker in this scene as the doula, um, watching as she goes from calm to panicked, 
is uh, it's it's a an incredible evolution um, of a performance, and uh, she just doesn't get the credit that she deserves. In fact, Molly Parker in general is probably one of the better actresses out there, and uh, I can't wait to see more of what she she does. She's in the film Jockey and turns in a fantastic performance in that, um, and I can't wait to just to see more of what she what she has. Um, and I hope that she gets some more, uh, she gets cast in some more um, bigger films because uh, she she is great. Um, but yeah, this is the cinematography, uh, Benjamin Loeb, the fact that he was able to conceptualize this, um, there's nothing quite like it. The angles in which they take, um, the intimacy of up-close shots, um, and in this scene, yeah, he should have been nominated and should have won the Academy Award for Best Cinematography um, simply for this scene. But it, it continues throughout the entire film. Um, the way in which shots are filmed, um, often up-close shots on these characters to try to capture, um, capture them in thought and their emotions, um, that's extraordinary. Uh, he does some other kind of longer tracking shots where uh, they, the scene that we, we hear in this clip, um, the lead up to it, there's a long shot where he moves around the living room um, and moves throughout the house uh, and uses just the um, architecture of the environment that he's in to his advantage, <clears throat> excuse me, to his advantage or um, just learns to work around it. Um, and it is, uh, it's just fantastic. I can't say enough about how amazing uh, this, this cinematography is. Um, yeah, if for no other reason, watch this film for Benjamin Loeb's cinematography. And then we pair this with the music from Howard Shore. And Howard Shore is a fantastic composer. Um, he, he scored the music for the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, and immediately when I got into this film, I was like, oh, yes, the score is amazing. Um, it just fits the tone. Um, it's beautiful. Um, and I think m the mix of Howard Shore's score with the cinematography the performances, and the writing. Um, this really is kind of, th th there's a cap put on it at the very end as the credits are rolling. And I was left sitting in my emotion with tears <laughs> coming down my face as um, this film closes and um, just having... Shore's beautiful score playing as I am digesting uh, the full of what I saw. Um, it just it, it makes for a an incredible experience. Um, and I don't I don't know that all of you who are listening to this are going to feel the same way that I did, but this this film spoke to me. Um, I think it is nearly perfect in every aspect of what it does. I ended up giving it four and a half stars. I really wanted to give it five stars because my heart wanted to give it five stars. But from the 
phys physical aesthetic of the film. Um, I don't know that I can say that it is award worthy. Uh, it's good. I mean, it's it fits. It's fine. Um, like it's probably above average. Um, but every other aspect of the film, uh, from editing to cinematography, um, to acting to writing, uh, to the way it sounds is all award worthy. And so it did end up getting four and a half stars. Um, and I have selected it as my favorite film of the year. Um, and you can watch it on Netflix. And so I highly recommend that you go out and do that. Um, if only to watch the first segment of that 28 minute uh, one shot birth scene. Um, but my hope is that after you watch that, that you're invested and you want to see where this goes. Um, and if you're a patient movie watcher and willing to let the film speak to you and you're willing to look at all of these different aspects uh, and revel in their beauty and uh, expertise craft, I think that you will come to a very similar conclusion to the one that I have. So when we return, um, I am going to talk a little bit more about how the Academy um, often does not recognize films like this and how there are shortcomings to the way in which they, they sometimes evaluate film and uh, how they put too much stock in certain areas um, that uh, allow a film like this to be left out. Um, so we're going to talk about that. We are also going to take a look at the winners from the SAG Awards and a couple more of the um, uh, guilds and societies that presented their awards this week leading up to the Oscars, which will be um, given out two weeks from today. Stick right there, and we will be right back. We are back and we're talking about how the Oscars sometimes they do not uh, do a great job of choosing films that are all around really well crafted films. Um, and it's easy for me to say that it comes down to personal preference. But I think that uh, there, there usually are a handful of films that fall, fall through the cracks and just don't get the, the love that they deserve. Um, a lot of times it is because they are more independent films and don't have the money behind them. Um, sometimes it might be that there's another big player um, from the same studio or distributor. And... That is the case here with, uh, with Pieces of a Woman. Um, 
it it just isn't it isn't getting the love that it that it deserves. Uh, I kind of see this as um, similar to the film First Man, which uh, I felt was not very well respected, despite um, having some big time players. Uh, after La La Land, um, I thought that uh, that it was going to uh, First Man would have a little bit more love, um, and and it just it didn't get get it, and that was really perplexing to me um, because it seemed like it would, especially since Damien Chazelle has shown to be uh, a, an Oscar favorite, or at least be uh, considered for a lot of those things. Um, but from a craft standpoint, I, I compare this to a film like uh, Pieces of a Woman because it isn't the sort of film that is going to be loved by a more popular audience because it takes some patience and it takes um, a love of the craft to truly appreciate what they are doing. Um, and I, I find that oh, every year uh, my favorite films typically kind of get left out because of that. Um, and so that that is the case this year with Pieces of a Woman. Um, I think in past years, like First Man, First Man was my favorite year, or my favorite film, uh, the year that that came out in 2018. Um, films like uh, American Honey, uh, which is a little bit more of a raw film, came out in 20 or 2016. Uh, the film Raw, which also is technically a 2016 film, but I believe it uh, was, would have qualified in the year 2017 um it also kind of falls in that that category uh that they're just beautiful films that have so much to appreciate as a lover of cinema um but then they end up just not hitting quite the right the right chord um for whatever reason and i think they all sort of have uh some deficiencies, not not in the way that they're made, but in the way that uh, a cat, the Academy might see them, um, and or, or just in the way that they they were campaigned for. I think this year is a little bit of a unique year because uh, we're starting to see where um, the platforms of like Netflix and Hulu. And Amazon Prime and Apple TV Plus, uh, they are now allowing for films that typically wouldn't have the ability to be really seen by large audiences to be seen by these audiences. And in a year where a lot of the big time, uh, the big time players decided to sit it out because theaters weren't open. Um, that, that has opened things up a little bit, and uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, that that impacts future release years and how um, the Oscars are going to to treat those those types of films. Um, but films like Raw and American Honey, 
um, they, they were hurt by the fact that they were independent releases and they're not going to have the same budget to go campaign to be uh, well received by um, these these award the, on the award circuit. Uh, the thing about Pieces of a Woman is that it, it suffered from, I think, the Shia LaBeouf issues, um, but I also think that it suffered just because it is a Netflix produced film and Netflix had a bunch of players this year um, and they had to pick and choose what they were going to push. And uh, the nature of this film, uh, they probably figured may not play as well as um, something like the trial of the Chicago seven or um, Ma Rainey's black bottom. Um, or some of these these uh, other films that they they were pushing to to be awards players, or Mank. Mank is probably the other one that um, that seemed like that had, was going to be their best their best chance at winning a bunch of Oscars, and it really hasn't, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, but it got nominated for a bunch, uh, it, and um, and so that. That's the film, one of those films that it's they're going to push a little bit harder than a movie like uh, Pieces of a Woman. Um, so anyway, I think that this is uh, a conversation that um, I'm going to continue to have as I fight for uh, the recognition of craft and uh, recognizing um, more balanced films. They're really good in a number of areas and aren't going to ride a really good performance while being lacking in some other areas or um, riding a just a, a really good director or something like that. Um, like I said, I'm trying to be, as, as kind of the theme of the show, I'm trying to be more objective and uh, recognize aspects of these films that don't that don't play into the politics of everything and um i i recognize that uh that's not how it always works but i'm going to continue to be a cheerleader for those types of films that that are just really well crafted and and bring a new perspective um to to the cinema world um so i think that's all i have on the uh idea of films being left out um that that are worthy of much much more um so i just got done watching the baftas and there are some pretty interesting things because some of these races were a little bit more up in the air um in regard to what uh you know what what might end up winning um and i think we we got some things that were solidified. Um, first of all, Nomadland ended up winning Best Picture, and uh, I think that that just uh, continues to solidify the fact that it is going to win Best Picture at the Oscars, and that's fine. Um, it's a great film. Uh, I think that it's a worthy winner. Um, it's different than some of the other films that have uh, won in recent years, and um, it's good to have every once in a while a year where the best picture race isn't um, isn't 
overly dramatic. Uh, obviously, I wish that Promising Young Woman would win in this category, but I think um, it may be just a little too risque for a lot of the uh, folks um, in the Academy, and so it's not going to be able to get that sort of love. Um, but that's all right. Uh, I think the fact that it was recognized says a lot about the direction in which uh, the Academy is heading and hopefully open opens the door for this sort of film to be recognized um, in, in future years. It did, however, win the award for Best uh, British Film and at, at the BAFTAs, and that says a lot because it seems like a film like The Father, um, that that would seem that would seem to be more of the type of film that that these academies would go for, and so it shows that there is quite a bit of love for um, a film like Promising Young Woman. Uh, Promising Young Woman did win Best Original Screenplay, and I think that solidifies its place. Um, among the the nominees in that category. Uh, for quite some time, it looked like The Trial of the Chicago 7 might be the winner here. They love Aaron Sorkin. Um, but I think that's going to, I think, I think it's going to end up being the winner. Um, and I am now going to be predicting that uh, Promising Young Woman goes on to win Best Original Screenplay. And that may be its only win. Um, it's still could win Best Actress, but things aren't looking so great after uh, Viola Davis ended up taking home the uh, Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Actress. And today at BAFTAs, um, at the BAFTA Awards, we, we got Frances McDormand as the winner. Um, but it's hard to say because we don't know. The way that BAFTA did the acting categories, they had uh, small committees choose the, the uh, nominees for each of the acting categories, and they left Kerry Mulligan out. Um, and so we don't really know uh, what the uh, significance of Frances McDormand winning here is. Um, the one thing that I do have to say is that I was really hoping that Vanessa Kirby would win this award because this was going to be probably her only shot at winning an award on uh, a big time award on the circuit. Um, and now I think she is definitely the only one who, the only of the five nominees who will not take home the Oscar. Uh, it could be any of the other four um, as they each have won one of the major precursors. And, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting race. I don't think that, that we we're going to really have a good idea of who's the winner until we get, we hear who it, who they choose. Um, makes it very, very interesting. Uh, I think that Frances McDormand winning today, that, that puts a little bit of extra boost in her tank. Um, the fact that, uh, Promising Young Woman did get a lot of love today. I think that helps Kerry Mulligan, but it's once again it's hard to say because we don't we just don't know, um, but whether or not they would have gone for her if she was a nominee. Um, but uh, this is definitely the category to watch. Um, I think it is the only category where 
I don't have an inkling of who might win. Um, everything else now kind of has solidified itself, um, or at least not solidified itself so much as um, given us a little bit more of a feeling as to who's going to win. Um, so along with Nomadland winning Best Picture, uh, Chloe Zhao also won Best Director. She's going to win the Academy Award. Um, there's no question about that. Now, one of the big surprises of BAFTA was that they chose Anthony Hopkins for Best Actor over Chadwick Boseman. Uh, this is a pretty dang big surprise. Uh, I believe that Anthony Hopkins' performance is better than Chadwick Boseman's. Um, and I probably would have voted for Anthony Hopkins because, as I said, I'm trying to be objective in how I... Uh, perceive these performances, how I perceive these films, and I think Anthony Hopkins' performance was uh, one of the best, if not the best, performance of the entire year. Um, and uh, and so I understand why Chadwick Boseman is still probably going to win the Oscar um, because this is the last opportunity to reward him uh, for a film, uh, and and it was a much and it's a much deserved award-winning performance, um, even if I don't think it is the absolute best. Um, it would be a little bit sad, to be completely honest, if Anthony Hopkins goes on to win Best Actor at the Oscars, uh, just to not see Chadwick Boseman finish this thing out. Um, and maybe it's good that Anthony Hopkins won here, so that, uh, it allows voters who really want to give this award to Chadwick Boseman um, an opportunity to turn those ballots in with him as the winner, um, whereas maybe they would, would have been a little more passive just thinking, oh, he's going to win. Um, I'm going to vote for the performance that uh, I I most want to win. Um, yeah, I would I would be very, very surprised if Chadwick Boseman still doesn't win the uh, the Best Actor Award at the Oscars. Um, and like I said, it would probably make me a little bit sad um, that his his widow doesn't get the opportunity to give that that Oscar speech um, and honor uh, an actor that we lost far too early. Um, so that's that. Um, best supporting actor actress. Uh, that category has now solidified a little bit more. Uh, Yu Jung Young from Minari. Um, she delivers a fantastic performance. It would be much deserved if she wins. Um, I'm still kind of trying to decide whether or not I would choose her or Olivia Coleman um, as the winner. I will solidify that decision but before our Oscar show. Um, but I think Yu Jung Young is going to win the Oscar. Uh, she won the SAG. She won this one. Uh, she is now now seems to be the favorite. Um, Maria Bakalova's chances of winning uh, just doesn't seem like they're they're very good at this point. Um, despite the fact that she did end up winning that Critics Choice Award, um, I think that uh, it is going to be Yu Jung Young. Um, in addition to. Uh, the almost guarantee of Nomadland winning Best Picture and Chloe Zhao winning Best Director. 
it now seems like Daniel Kaluuya is also a shoe-in to win Best Supporting Actor. Uh, it's a little disappointing that uh, he is in this category because it's almost not fair. Um, he, he should be in the Best Actor category. Uh, I think that both him both he and uh, Lakeith Stanfield are dueling leads in this film. Um, but, you know, this is where we're at, and uh, he's going to win this category. That's fine. He put he he delivers a fantastic, fantastic performance, um, and this he swept all the major awards thus far, and so he's going to win the Oscar. That's all there is to it. Um, one of the other really interesting categories uh, based upon who won today at BAFTA is that, uh, or is The Father. The Father won for Best Adapted Screenplay. This is my favorite screenplay out of all of those that were were uh, nominated in this category. Um, I still think Nomadland is going to win at the Oscars, but this makes it interesting. Um, it doesn't seem as much of a shoe-in uh, as I thought it was going to be. Um, I would be very surprised if the father ends up winning. It would be a pleasant surprise uh, from the standpoint of um, just a really, really well-written screenplay. Um, it also would be a way to uh, award the father something because um, it's a great film. It really is a great film, and it's going to probably end up with um, nothing <laughs> just because of the way that this is playing out. Um it would be a little bit sad if Chloe Zhao has won all these awards up to this point and she doesn't get to finish it off with a uh, win for for best best screenplay. It would also be really cool to have both of the screenplay winners be women this year um, from a completely political standpoint of uh, just doing something that's cool. Um, yeah, that would be awesome. Um, but I do think that The Father's screenplay by Florian Zeller is uh, the best screenplay of the bunch. So that makes things um, more interesting. The final category I want to talk about here is um, the category of best editing. Uh, I really liked The Father's ed editing, and so I was looking for maybe them to win in this, this category here at BAFTA, being a British film. Um, and, uh, this being a British award show, I thought maybe it could come out on top. It did not. Um, however, Sound of Metal did, and, uh, this is a much, much deserved win. Um, and I think it now is the favorite to be able to win editing at, uh, at the Oscars. We're going to see how the, um, editing guild votes, uh, when those awards get announced, this, this, I think it's this upcoming week. Um, so we're going to see who they choose, and that might give us a little bit of a better um, a better feel for how Oscars are going to go. Because we did see a couple of years back when uh, Vice, which was so fantastically edited, um, won the BAFTA, and it seemed like that was the favorite going into the Oscars. But... Uh, the um, the American 
Cinema Editors Association uh, or Guild, uh, they they ended up choosing Bohemian Rhapsody, and then Bohemian Rhapsody went on to win the Oscar. Um, so we're gonna see. It could be the Trial of the Chicago Seven. Um, that that seemed like the favorite for a long time, um, and it may end up coming back around and pulling this one off um, as maybe a way to to honor that film since it may not end up getting hardly anything um, as well. So uh, that that kind of wraps up the uh, big notable pieces that we are seeing for uh, BAFTA, and it did definitely did clear up some of the races uh, that we didn't really know how they were going to play out going into uh, going into this today's award show. Um, but uh, I like that there were some surprises. I like that uh, it's mostly cleared up a lot of races for me being able to predict. Um, I also think it's kind of fun that uh, our best actress race is definitely kind of a toss-up. Um, and it's not even a toss-up between two actresses. It is now a toss-up between four, um, which is going to make things pretty fun. Uh, and I'm really, really excited to for Oscar night to see who the Academy ends up choosing in in the, these races. Um, so uh, that kind of wraps up our show today. Uh, I am looking forward to next week. We're going to be doing the Oscar shorts show. Um, so I will be doing a review uh, of all of the Oscar shorts and kind of talking about the, the shorts. And um, it's, just, it, it's a part of cinema that I don't dive deep into every year. Uh, but uh, it, it is cool that we, we still recognize the work being done um, amongst those short filmmakers. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that on April 18th. And then April 25th is the Oscars. And so that morning I will be doing an Oscars show where I talk about all my predictions, where I talk about my picks um, in the nominated categories. And then I'm also just going to be giving you my favorites of the year, regardless of whether or not they were nominated. Um, and so it's going to be a big old celebration of cinema from the year 2020. And I can't wait to share all of that with you. Um, we are almost all the way through the 2020 uh, film award season. It's been one of the longest ever. And, uh, and then we can start to shift toward cinema that uh, represents the year 2021. So I can't wait to have you back here next week. And until then, have a great week.